welcome back to the fire drill. Uh, first of all, I do want to talk about the grind. We cover it in the first part of the uh, of the podcast. It is our baby at the fire pit. Um, thank you to Golf Tech for all their support for making this happen behind the scenes with golfers chasing their dream. Anything but millionaires. It's uh, we're super proud of it. And uh, we go into it, so I won't cover it anymore. Just watch it. Go to our YouTube channel. Like, subscribe. Do those things. Uh, we're super pr- happy about it. Uh, proud of it. And it'll start tomorrow. Um, and we cover it in the first part of the podcast. We talked John Rahm, obviously. I told the Davis Thompson story from the Barracuda. We talked about Drew Love. Uh, we talked about the CW. We talked about Dawson's Creek. There's a couple great stories. A great story about Claude Harmon that Michael has. Um, a great story about VJ and Tiger. Uh, from Alan, it's just awesome little anecdotal stories. I'm pretty proud of myself. I didn't even I didn't even mean to say that word. I like didn't like write it down or anything. I just said anecdotal by myself uh, and used it correctly. I I believe I'm pretty sure. Um, without further ado, here's the three of us talking golf. I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out. Trying not to think what I'm thinking about. All right, well, gentlemen, it was quite an interesting uh, week in golf. We're going to get to all of it. But first, I want to talk about the most exciting thing that's happened to the Fire Pit Collective in a while, which is the release of our docuseries, The Grind. We've been talking about it and teasing it for a very long time. It it's finally upon us on uh, Tuesday, January 24th. We're going to have the first episode available on our, our website and firepitcollective.com and, of course, on our YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, Ryan, you're quite an inspiration for this whole project because it kind of builds upon your reporting and and you shining a light on on the, the fringes of professional golf and, and the struggles and, and the, the heartbreaks and the tri- occasional triumphs. Um, so you, you've seen a lot of the, the early episodes. You, you make some very important cameos, especially in episode two. But um, what does this mean to you, Ryan? How excited are you? What do you think of these episodes? Like, like bring the listeners into this little world. Yeah, um, I'm working on an article, and the, and the opening paragraph is is something that I've talked a lot about with Michael. I was in a, a campground, uh, one of the first caddy, the, one of the first caddy trips that my dad and I made. And uh, next to me was a was a pro golfer. Uh, this was a public restroom at a campground, and there was a pro golfer next to me, and it just blew my mind. Like I was like, "What?" You know, I I have always been a golf nerd, but I didn't really think about life off the course uh, as much. And so, from that moment, which was eighteen twenty years ago. Uh, to this a tv show about it has just been like just a crazy ride and um and i'm so excited because i think you know i've put a lot of thought into why my account has has become popular and those things and i think it is the fact that most everybody can relate to someone chasing their dreams it's hard to relate to the top players in the world and not that we don't appreciate them and all those kind of things, but it's just hard to relate to. And I think all of us can, can relate to the sacrifices that not only the player makes, their family makes, their friends make financially, 
time-wise, on the road, all those kind of things. And uh, this show is going to take you inside of that. And it's just super, uh, super awesome. On a quick a side note, the first one is kind of like the down of and the reality of pro golf. The second one is up. Mark got an exemption into uh, AT&T. And Mark saw it and immediately went onto the range for five hours straight. He loved it. Uh, we love it, but you'll meet a bunch of people that are really like chasing their dream. It's awesome. Well, and the Mark in question is, is Mark Baldwin. You know, we, we've tracked him for a little while in, in different ways on, on, on this, on this site, but th- these shows bring it to life in such a, an immediate sort of intimate way. Um, and we love typed articles and we love, we love podcasts, you know, we all dabble in, in those mediums, but something about the camera is so revealing. And, um, you know, we're in the car, we're in the house that he's played, uh, for, for all these players. It's not just Mark. I mean, um, he, he's fact, he's a, a huge part of episodes one and two. And then, then we, we start telling other stories and, um, so it, it's really the, the scale of this project is incredible. We, we had, um, 120 hours of raw footage uh, that were filmed across most of 2022 and including visits to Scotland and Ireland. Um, you know, there was, there was five field producers, eight video editors, a dozen cameramen. Uh, all of us have contributed words in different ways to voiceovers and, and to the narrative storytelling. And it's just a monumental effort from everyone here at the collective. And, you know, I, I've had a chance to really drill down on the first five episodes, especially, and the the storytelling is just fantastic, and the the production values are HBO quality or Netflix quality, whatever you'd expect when 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 you when you queue up what looks like a very big budget, you know, production. It's it's just incredible. So uh, we're we're all super proud of it. Um, you know, Michael, you've you you've not been as intimately involved as Ryan, but you've been you've been you've been a part of this, and you've been you've been watching from afar. And what kind of energy are you detecting around this? Well, I think this is storytelling at its best because uh, you know, especially when you get to be my age, uh, sixty-two, you realize that it's the biggest, it's one of the oldest cliches known to mankind, but. Uh, it really is all about the journey and not the destination. And golf captures that so incredibly well. And Ryan's beat captures that uh, so incredibly well. And even if you think back about Tiger uh, and his Hall of Fame remarks, he was up there for roughly, I'd say, 20 minutes. 16 of the minutes were about uh, his amateur days playing, you know, his mom dropping him off at a junior event and he and his dad, you know, hunting for golf balls in the woods or whatever it was at the at the, at the Navy course. So, uh Ryan and this series and some of the stuff I've done about, you know, catting for golfers trying to make it and, you know, Alan, you writing about Rich Beam and Steve Duplantis. That storytelling never gets tired because it reminds us on the most fundamental level of what we're trying to do with our lives. So I think it's absolutely beautiful. It's spectacular uh, uh, and a great nod of the uh, the cap tip, the cap to uh to all the people who make it possible for us to do the kind of storytelling that we're doing. Yeah. Shout out to uh, golf tech. there, presenting sponsor of the, of the whole grind docu series, which will be 15 episodes. And, uh, 
yeah, I mean, talking about the journey, episode three might is is just so heartwarming. It, it follows Paige Crawford. She's you know thirty years old now. She's been chasing it for a long time. She was a, a high school basketball star. I mean, she's an athlete. Came to golf a little bit late and um, travels the roams around the mini tours, living in a van uh, with her girlfriend, who, who's a really delightful presence. And they just have this 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 very sweet relationship. They're skateboarding, they're rock climbing, they're they're hiking in the hills. I mean, they kind of remind me of some of the people I know who live in Big Sur. You know, they've got that free spirit energy, and and yet she's a very you know she's a very determined athlete, and she's trying to make it to the LPGA and. And you know we're we're in the van with them, and we're, we're driving from Idaho to Oregon, and, and uh, they're cooking on their little stove, and they've got their little dog, and it, it's just the most heartwarming, intimate portrayal of a professional athlete you can imagine. And um, and so yeah, there's that that's the kind of those are the kind of surprises, and and you know these, these are not household names. That was the whole point. Um, you know we all love watching Nelly Corda play golf, but um, it's she's going to be fine whether she wins the dinosaur or not, you know, like she's on only one trajectory and, um, but these, these players on, on the margins, it's, you know, pages just, just literally trying to make money to put, so they can, they can barbecue dinner that night. And if, if she's, if she's not able to, I mean, she's, she's going to find another job. And that, that dramatic tension as, as Ryan has talked about so much is just a different level of, of, of interest for a fan. You know, they're, they're playing for their, their lives and it, it that's what's so thrilling about it. Yeah, that that has been. I mean, obviously, I I've known it because I'm I'm part of this world. But seeing it on on the show has really driven home the selflessness of the people not uh, that are not the players. Uh, my, Mark's wife Sarah, Paige's uh, girlfriend, uh, Joe Hook's parents. Um, you know, these are people that travel to events. Uh, Paige's girlfriend works a marketing job so uh, remotely so you know they can afford their van life and dinner and and these people behind the scenes that we'll introduce you to are sacrificing so their son or girlfriend or husband can chase their dream and uh, that has been a very interesting part of this show and I think You'll see that, and that it isn't easy. Um, as we all know, marriage isn't isn't perfect, and uh, it's even harder when you're on the road six days a week. Or in like Paige's case, you're together twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a year. That says a lot about a relationship. Um, and so, it is the ups and downs. The first episode is Mark uh, Baldwin and us chasing Mondays and him not playing well and. Uh, some family stuff going on and that's that's real life and i always tell this story about that first episode is uh mark's son is having some health issues that you'll see in the episode and uh it's it's pretty hairy for a, a bit and on monday mark never brought it up with the playing group and i asked him about it i said why didn't you bring it up and he said you know we are all going through something out here no one's going to feel sorry for me and they shouldn't uh this is this is the life. So, um, it's I'm super excited about it. Yeah, and then episode episode two really traces um, last year's Pebble Beach Pro Am, where Ryan's catting for Mark, and it's a perfect distillation of the highs and lows of the life of a golfer and a caddy, for that matter, and all the people around them. Um, 
you know, from you can you can have you can have such a thrilling week and so many great things can happen and then you misjudge the wind a couple of times, you make a couple of bad swings and you, you go crashing down the leaderboard. And what could have changed your life turns out to be sort of a ho-hum finish and in, in the span of a couple hours, like and it, you know, chronicles your despair, <laughs> Ryan. When 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 you as you're reliving these things now, as you're watching the episodes, um, you know you have a little, a little distance of of time from from when they actually transpired. Like, what 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 emotions are inspired within you? Yeah, uh, all of the same emotions that I feel now. Just uh, <laughs> like I, I mean, Mark and I talk about it privately. Is like you'll never be able to not think about the round at Sunday at Pebble and what it would have done had it been a 67 or 68. And it's not like that's not a far-fetched dream, right? I mean, he had shot uh, a bogey-free round at the hardest course in the rotation, Spyglass, three days earlier. This isn't like we're not – it's not a pipe dream to think that he could have shot 68. He could have, and it would have changed his life. Uh, so the motions I got watching it – uh, were the same that I had that week. We were on top of the world on Saturday night, and you feel like shit uh, driving in a car, canceling flights, uh, finding another flight, and 24 hours later, you're standing on a mat at a very uh, average golf course playing a Monday qualifier where you have to shoot a 63 to get in. And uh, that's that's the reality of pro golf in a nutshell. And 20, in a about a 36-hour span, Saturday, make the cut, T19, have a chance to change your life, play poorly Sunday, fly to Phoenix, playing a municipal course, having to shoot 63, don't play well there, and you're home at Tuesday, and everybody's forgot about you. No one cares about you. Uh, that's that's the reality of pro golf. Yeah, well, not no one because we we were we, our cameras True. were there, and I think when True. when when the viewers. Um, and of course, Mark, there may be some folks out there saying, well, I think I know a lot about Mark Baldwin already. You know, you guys have written about him, but he's such a unique pro athlete. I mean, he's, he's, he's so smart and cerebral and he has, he can play the guitar and his, his, his interest in, in books and, and music and movies are run really deep. And he's, he's very expressive about the, what he's going through. And, um, his, his, his wife pops into the story. She's, she's really sweet and has a great perspective on everything. And, um, I mean, if, if you watch this episode and, and, and you don't wind up loving Mark Baldwin or lo- loving Paige Crawford or Joe hooks, who's a huge part of episodes four and five, like the, these are athletes who are so easy to root for because they're just, they're, they're dreamers. And then it's a, it's almost an impossible dream, but they won't let go of it. And there's something admirable about that. Yeah. You know, I think I'm, we're probably too pragmatic. At least I am like, I don't, you know, if I had, if I had spent 10 years trying to get hired by a local newspaper, sending them stories and getting paid 20 bucks for them and, and they never published any, I would have found another line of work, but that's, these guys just keep going and it's remarkable. Alan, quick technical question for you. So, how much does how much does the uh, viewer have to pay to watch these uh, episodes? Well, thanks to the generosity of Golf Tech and the Fire Pit Collective, uh, they're going to be they're going to be free on uh, on our website and on our YouTube channel. Um, and so, it's a very it's a very delightful viewing experience. Um, Can I ask you a quick question about sixty three? Uh, I was talking about. I'd like to know what you both think about this. So. You know, Ryan mentioned you, you often have to shoot a 63 in these Monday qualifiers. 63 could play off. You might have to shoot 62 at some of them. Uh, you never know. I mean, there's a lot of good golfers out there. So the other day, 
Alan will know this name, others may not, but Jim Langley was the longtime head professional in Cypress Point. He tragically lost the use of his, he had the course record at Cypress Point with Hogan and others, a 63. He tragically lost the use of his right hand after an accident. Then he shot a one-handed, left-handed 81 at Cypress Point using right-handed clubs. Now, I would say if you had to, so I wrote the following. There are probably 5,000 golfers in the world who can shoot 63 on any given day at Cypress Point. There might be a handful of people who can shoot a one-handed 81. So somebody who read it said, 5,000? There's no way. So here's my question to you both. How many people in the world do you think there are that can, on a good, now Cypress is short, Let's, but let's just use Cypress as an example, but think of any course you wish. How many people in the world do you think there are that can shoot because we often focus on just 100 or 200 golfers. How many golfers are there in the world who can shoot 63 at Cypress Point on any given day? Well, just to, just to get more granular here, are we talking about a casual round? Are we talking tournament pressure, pencil in your pocket, every, you know, no gimmies, no, like, it's a little different. I would say there's tens of thousands of, of guys who can shoot 63 at Cypress Point on any given day with their buddies. Um you know, there, there's a lot of dudes who played college golf who, who now are members at Whisper Rock. You know, they're not playing competitively, but they they can take it deep. Um, uh, well said. So let, let, let's let's let, let's change to tournament conditions. <laughs> tournament conditions. Because I agree with you. It's tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. Hundreds of thousands, possibly. Ryan, what do you? Um, if, in tournament conditions. When it matters, there's a purse. There's fans. There's a score. I mean, with the camera on. Camera on. How many guys can shoot 63 on a really oh, good man. course? Not. M- a thousand? <laughs> I think it's north of that. I think it's more. Yeah, than you're probably I mean, right. I think it's way Just north look, of that. looking across all the mini tours, all the professional tours. There's a few thousand guys who have cars, yeah. right? And yeah, and they yeah. can do it. You're probably right. Four thousand. Yeah, I would. I think it's even but on the right day. On the right day, but I mean that's even what's interesting, Ryan. You track this. All those guys who shoot 63 in the Mondays. And there's pressure in the Mondays. We know that, but there's not a gallery. There's not really TV. There's it's 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 this, it's kind of this this gray area between tournament golf and and playing with your your buddies, right? Then they, these guys go to the to the the PJ Tour event. They're clearly playing well. They just shot 63 on the Monday, and you know Corey Connors and a couple others have 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 continued it for six more days. But um, you know what is it, only 28 percent make the cut or something like it. Yeah, twenty eight per twenty eight percent make the cut. And to go back to the Mondays, there is pressure once you're playing well. But I'll go to the one time I caddied in with Mark in the Barracuda where we got through. There's no pressure at the beginning because you know you have no chance. Basically, it's like a crapshoot. So there's no real like it's we. I remember what like my uh, when I caddied from uh, from Mark at that Barracuda Monday two years ago. We hadn't seen each other in a while, and we were literally just catching up on the front nine. There's no expectations. Like, you know you have to shoot a ridiculously low score. And so, all of a sudden, on nine, he was five under through nine. And we're like, oh, like, we're in this, you know? And then the pressure starts. But, like, before that, you're just like, like, again, uh, Scott Fawcett, who is a, a, a master of numbers and odds and those kind of things, puts, puts the, like, getting through a Monday at around 7%. Okay? So, like, there is no real pressure when you tee off on the first hole, especially you make an early bogey. There's no pressure at all. 
because you're just like, yeah, I'm out of it. I have no chance. Uh, but then, yes, you got to go on the big stage and there's cameras and there's you have only had one day to prepare and you know that there's no tomorrow. That's going back to the Sunday at Pebble is like we were playing with Lanto Griffin and Davis Riley. They played like crap, too. You know what? They're going to tee it up next week. Uh, we weren't. And so all of those factors equal 30, 28 to 30 percent of the guys that Monday making. Now, that being said, a large portion of Mondays, you handed them a PGA Tour card, they would do just fine. It, it's the ultimate question in all of sports. Like, why do some players play better when the lights come on and some players don't? And, you know, I was yesterday, I was at the, the Cowboys 49ers uh, playoff game, had great seats close to the field. And, uh, you know, there's, we were behind the Cowboys, uh, on the Cowboys side. And close enough, like these guys are just, you forget how, what physical specimens they are. They're just like immense. They, they blot out the sun and everyone who make in the NFL on a good team in the playoffs, these are the best of the best athletes on the whole planet. And yet there's a razor thin divide there between the guys who can get it done when it really matters and, and can't. And all the time, you know, pumping iron and watching film like that helps you, but some guys just make the plays and some don't. And I mean, you extend that out to to professional golf as well. It's it's what's so fascinating about sports. And one of the things, you know, uh, watching just a little bit of playoff football this year, and you see the wild range of body types that make it to the NFL, you know, from the kickers to the linemen. It's just even from the defensive line and the offensive line. It's absolutely wild. I mean, you see guys who are borderline obese, and then you see some guys 155 pounds, and they play the same game. But I take note of it because golf – uniquely does you know there are not so uniquely i mean tennis i would say the same you have to have it all in golf uh and that's why tiger in his prime was so stunning to watch you have to you have to have it all you can't just be the you can't just be the place kicker you can't just be the you know the rusher you gotta you have to do it all and you have to have a body type that will do it all in a mind that will do it all and i don't know just kind of occurred to me for the first time it's one of the many things that makes golf special is that you can't be a super specialist you can't just be a great putter just as a quick side note to that it relates to something you you just said um i was once asking gary mccord about the great putters he had ever seen and i was talking about uh, you know Trevino and Nicholas and, and, and Palmer. Palmer was a great putter. And then I brought up Lauren Roberts and Brad Faxon, who are famously part of the conversation of the great putters of all time. And then McCord said, well, what have they won? And to his point, you know, to this general conversation of, you know, Sunday afternoon versus Monday qualifying, Sunday afternoon to try to get into next week's event versus Monday qualifying. That's what this game, as we know it, is all about, is that point to Sunday afternoon and, and what are you going to do? And uh, so, for Mark Baldwin to get himself in position to play meaningful golf on a Sunday afternoon is one thing, but then to get it done on a Sunday afternoon as Nicholas and Palmer and Tiger did again and again and again, that's completely on another level. Yeah. Well, and, and so just to broaden this conversation a little more, we should, we should tip our cap to John Rom, who is a guy who can shoot 63 any day of the week and actually is doing it right now. It seems like, yeah, that's all he's, he's shooting is 63. That's all he's shooting. And so I was at Kapalua where he went crazy deep and won the tournament. Crazy and, um, deep after a bogey on one on Sunday. I know nine back and at, at that, the moment. And so he, uh, I sneaked into this little Q and a with, with Monahan and, and rom that they do for the champion they do it for the it's like this private function for the century organizers 
and Ron was coming up and I was coming up the stairs behind him and the security, the security guard almost didn't let him in because here's a guy, he's, a, he's got kind of short legs and he's kind of, he's kind of stumpy and his shirt was a little untucked and he wasn't, he didn't have his hat on, his hair was all messy. He did not look like one of the most elite athletes roaming the planet right now. You know, you look at John Rom, he doesn't ooze that same athleticism that say a tiger did um, when, when he was prowling around out there. And it was just a funny reminder that, you know, not everyone's, if you're not paying attention, like these guys don't necessarily look like quintessential professional athletes, but John Rom is, um, you know, he's a prideful guy. And I think last year when a bunch of dudes went to number one and he wasn't one of them, I think, I think that lit a fire. And, you know, I asked him about that at Kapalua and he's, he's talked about it since like he's, um, he's fired up. I mean, the guy's on a rampage. Um, now obviously, um, I will say, even though both Kapalua and the Hope yield low scores traditionally, they're very different tests. I mean, Kapalua, you have to play the wind and, and the lie and the uphill downhill and funnel the ball off funky slopes, and it's very creative, imaginative golf. Whereas the Hope is just dome. It's, you got you got one seventy two. It's just a stockade iron right at the flag every time. And for him for him to blow away the field, you know, on back to back on such a different kind of test, I think is is it's revealing of, of how good this guy really is. Well, so you got to play with an am though at the hope for three days, maybe four. That <laughs> yeah, that's an issue too. Uh, Used to be uh, five days. Can you imagine 90 holes? That was crazy. Michael, I have a question for you. You leave the flag in when you putt now, don't you? I do. Did, did you watch Davis Thompson's uh, putt on 17? And has it changed I, your mind? I didn't. What did, did a, did a hit it and it, not go in? What happened? Yeah, he had a 50-footer on 17 to tie for the lead. And it was going speedily. There is debate about whether it would have gone in anyway, but it, it pinched the flag and, and pinched out. I don't know. That flag six is going to help you more than hurt you. It's going to do a little bit of both, but it's going to help you more than hurt you. The only time I would really not leave that flag in is if it was if it was blowy and the flag stick was all over the place and it was one distracting you and two could lean in and stop you know, a putt coming in at three o'clock and the flag six leaning towards three o'clock. And then of course, then, it, then it's goaltender, you know, you don't want that. <laughs> I've got enough of that in my life, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, that's hard luck. I missed it, but uh, I'm going to tell my Davis Thompson story. I've held on to this for a year and a half. Uh, this is why Jake, you're so you're valuable, lot- Ryan. No one else yeah. is, is holding on to it. Uh, a Davis Thompson yeah. anecdote for, for, you know, a year and yeah. a half. Let's hear it. Uh, Jake, you're not allowed to use this as a social clip. So uh, at the Barracuda, Mark and I get paired with Davis Thompson. He is on the tee. He says hello, but it is very, like, just sticks out his hand. I'm not even sure he said the words hello. He never said, and this is not an exaggeration, he never said a single word the rest (laughs) of the round. Not good shot, not go fuck yourself. Not a single word, including on a whole. Now, I want to take the people listening back to there was such a forest fire that the round was almost canceled. There was smoke everywhere. Okay. You could hardly see down the fairway. That's how bad and thick. And all these volunteers are graciously out there. They've literally paid to be out there. Right. And they're spotting. And it has become even more important because the smoke, you can't see your ball land. So Mark is long. Davis is very long. On the fourth hole, fifth hole, he, the Mark and him hit 
one way down the fairway. The volunteer comes out of the smoke <laughs> and comes up and says, wow, guys, I've been here all week and uh, I haven't seen two people this far down. You know, I haven't seen two balls this far down. Mark, thank you so much. Davis doesn't even look at him, doesn't say a word to him. It was beyond bizarre. So I had to go back to talk to people who he played with the rest of the week, and they're like, nothing. Didn't say a word, doesn't say anything. Mark chipped in for Eagle, nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> it was the most bizarre thing I've ever been a part of. Like, hey, listen, the next day we played with Joseph Bramlett, super quiet, but very nice, okay? Like, I don't mind quiet. You want to be quiet and be in your own world? Totally get it. It was the wildest thing I have ever seen. Doesn't talk to anybody. And I don't know if you saw any clips. It hasn't changed much. The dude barely raises his hands, has no emotion. Wild. Mark tried to engage him in a thing and and goes, uh, hey, man, went to Georgia, huh? And he went, yep. That was the only word he said for the first time. It was insane. It was insane. Yeah, I mean... It gets to the point, like like you say, it, it's fine. Everyone, everyone in a competitive environment is going to do it a different way, but that's almost distracting to your play partners. It, it's kind of rude, honestly. Like yeah, you're was, not even engaging was, the basic social yeah. graces of of being a playing partner. Yeah, and the volunteer one was like a you. It was offensive. I mean, like the guy is standing out in literal smoke. You you could at least say thank you or give him a head nod or something. You know. Well, Michael, I mean, you've caddied um, famously the European Tour and and the PGA Tour. I mean, you've probably seen some some unusual behavior, shall we say? Where, where does that land for you? It's almost psychopathic, you know, to be completely <laughs> isolated from the activity around you. But it does have a lot of precedent in golf. This story is not true, but people, but it, Claude Harmon, Butch's father, used to tell it to make the point. Uh, you guys will probably know it, but maybe not. Uh, Claude Harmon, for those who don't know, uh, was famously the head pro at both Wingfoot and Seminole. And while he had those two head pro jobs, basically while going from his winter job at Seminole to his summer job at Wingfoot, stopped at Augusta National, played in the Masters, and won it. And he was the last club pro <clears throat> uh, to win it. But anyway, he was close to Hogan. And uh, and as the story goes, uh uh, he made a one. Claude Harmon made a one on 12, the par three uh, over Ray's Creek. And Hogan stiff didn't Hogan didn't say a thing to his friend. Hogan stiffs one, uh, makes his own putt and walking to 13. All Hogan says to, uh, to Claude Harmon is, I do believe that's the first two I've made there in quite some time or something, something along those lines. Uh, but uh, golf will reveal the soul like nothing else. And uh now, Peter Teravan and a guy caddied for in Europe, he was, he was conversant with himself. He wasn't really conversant, but he was a classic New Englander. And one of his things, if the, he was long with a wooden driver, whale, wooden driver, laminated Wilson whale, uh, uh, long meaning he was, he was, you know, 280 in the air, maybe, maybe. And, uh, but anyway, if another guy killed one and was out there with Peter, Peter would say, yep. And, you know, that was, that was high praise from Peter. Uh, uh, <laughs> I did see a guy, Sarabier, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he was an Argentine golfer, and he, he missed a short putt, and he took his putter head and was scared to watch, and he smashed his forehead, not with the head of the putter, but with the shaft, 
right in the forehead, walking off the green after missing short. That's the most psychopathic behavior I'd ever seen. Because he could literally, there wasn't any blood, but had he caught it the wrong way, it would have been a mess. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, golf. Will- Alan, who are we with recently? Who? Oh, Rich Kind. You and I were with Rich Kind. We, Alan and I were talking to the actor Rich Kind the other day, and he's like, you know. No gentleman would ever throw a golf club on the course. That was funny. You got to be kidding me. I don't know anybody, man, woman, or child, who's not thrown a golf, golf club. <laughs> yeah, every now and then you got to release the tension. Um, I mean, my, my favorite story about this is back, I think it was 03 when VJ was on his run and and usurped Tiger for a while, and they were going at it, and there was no love lost between them. And you know the story, Michael, where, they're on the first tee final round. I think it was in Boston where VJ beat him, but um, Tiger says, you know, good luck. And VJ says, Titleist won. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't a lot of words spoken the rest of that day, but, um, you know, it's that's a little different. I mean, those are guys with history and they are, they are battling for number one in the world. And like, if, if they want to be in their own world, it, I think it almost makes sense. That's like Hagler Hearns, you know, but um, I love the Barracuda. I love the Barracuda, as you all know. I love it. But when you're T48, okay, on Saturday at the Barracuda, yeah. maybe loosen up a little bit, you know? Yeah. We're, yeah, we're that, not out like, here changing lives. <laughs> I yeah. got a quick question. I had a quick question for Ryan about this Barracuda tournament. There's one tournament that gets called routinely by its corporate name, and that's Honda. Guys will actually say you're playing Honda. They don't say, are you playing West Palm Beach or Palm Beach Gardens? They say, are you playing Honda? What is this Barracuda tournament? Is that Vegas or Reno? What is it? Reno Tahoe. It used to be the Reno, Reno Tahoe, Tahoe. Open is Barracuda. Yeah. What And what is Barracuda? What do they do? They're insurance. All right. The people, on the, call in call it, the people on the end, Michael, call it the Cuda. Don't okay. say Cuda. I've heard you use that, please. That is a non-starter. <laughs> Well, you know, let me tell you something, Ryan, about nicknames. Nicknames have to be clever. Like uh, when 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 Tiger Woods called Steve Stricker Strix, that's not clever. But who is that famous good dresser? There, there was a famous uh, Masters winner who was a great dresser, one of the Texas guys, and they called him Wardrobe. That's a great nickname. Strix Kuda is not a nickname. That's nothing. Burnt Biscuits is a great nickname. Yeah, that's a great name. Who's Burnt Biscuits? Oh, that was one of the old Augusta caddies, right? Like, yes. He swipes some some baked goods out of a window, and after that, they called him Burnt Biscuits. Um, yeah. So in, in generally in all my typing, but especially in my books, when I, I have I, I never use the corporate names. I mean, it's a San Diego Open, it's LA Open, it's the Hawaiian Open, and you can't imagine how people are offended by that. Like, it's called the Sony, but but I'm I'm like future proofing the book because, as we know, corporations come and go. It's not, it might not be the Sony. Yeah, it might it might not be the Sony in a year. Like, why are people so attached to these corporate names? The Honda, the Honda is no longer the Honda after this year. Is it not? Well, yeah, it's not. As what is the Honda now? I mean, it's the Honda this year, but this is the last year. Okay. Yeah, By the way, the, 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 that, go- that golfer was uh, Jimmy Demerit, was uh, was wardrobe. Of course, yeah. Anyway, um, 
All right, we t- we touched on John Rom very briefly, but let the other big thing that happened in golf in recent days was. By the way, golf. you nailed John. Rom. I saw John Rom in the airport once going. He was wearing pajamas. I mean, <laughs> this guy. Most of these guys, you can tell right away. John Rom, you cannot. He always some things are ready to fall asleep off the course, and I like the fact I I never ever and Alan and I have talked about this, ever saw Tiger off the course. John Rom, you see everywhere. And he always looks like he's wearing pajamas and falling asleep. Yeah. No, I'm wearing a he's an anti-wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was wearing a t-shirt the other day that said dad bod, which I thought was funny because <laughs> it's very accurate. Um, yeah. So the other big news in recent days in, in the larger golf landscape is that Live Golf finally landed its TV deal with the CW which a network I remember, like I'm just young enough that like when Dawson's Creek and those those trashy teen shows were a thing, I was sort of adjacent to. I was, and so I've always known the CW, but I honestly didn't even know it was still in business, and I hadn't thought about the CW in decades. But it, it has been funny to me the YouTube nostalgia, like on golf Twitter, like oh this is a terrible move, you know YouTube's the biggest platform in the world when when they were on when. Live was only on YouTube. People are like, oh, it's a joke. They're only on YouTube. They can't even get on TV. Now they're on TV and everyone's like, oh, that's the wrong network. Like they sort of can't win. I, I agree that, you know, it's not, it's not ESPN. It's not Fox, whatever, but it was a necessary first step. Uh, but what, what do you guys think of, of this news? What was weird to me was that you, that YouTube broadcast, I watched a little bit and it was good. Uh, they did. I mean, for their first year of being in the in the business of putting golf tournaments on, they their their broadcast was good. I imagine they'll do a good job with it. Uh, you know, you can buy talent in the TV business. Uh, you're putting on a show. I imagine they'll do very well with it. People people want to watch it. They're going to find their way to it. It, it was good, but it wasn't. It was unsustainable. Part of why it was so good was there's no commercials. You know, and they they. they you know, in the world we live in, you need TV revenue to to survive as a. a as a global sports, you know, franchise. So I think, um, yeah, it, it was I, nice. I, can I take exception there? Because uh, the, the Masters has proved that's not true. The Masters has more money than God. The only group that has more money than the Masters is, of course, the Saudis. So I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> the case. I mean, like we, I made fun. I, my joke was, uh, who's going to tell the animals? Because on Sunday, there's world's, Funniest animals is on CW, so I was like, "Who who's going to tell the animals that they're not canceled?" <laughs> but, um, like, I think if you look at it objectively, and I'm trying my best, is a sports organization started one year ago or a little over a year ago has drawn. Less. They didn't announce till March. Okay, yeah, less than a year ago, they've taken some of the best players in the world, including. Maybe Rom's ahead now. Probably the second best player in the entire world, right? Uh, and now they're on TV, uh, and they are competing against what was a monopoly forever. Uh, and so, yes, it's the CW. Yes, I'm going to make fun of it. Yes, so is everybody else. But if you are objective and you don't think that they're making strides and affecting golf, you're just flat out wrong. It's just all there is to it. It's the same stuff. Like, yes, it's a joke that it's on the CW. All of it. Everything is. But if like March, 11 months ago, they were no one. And they have maybe four or five of the top 20 or 30 players in the world. 
and they're on a TV network and they have a relatively full schedule. And I just, they, it's kind of wild. Yeah. And to, to Michael's point, I mean, the, the key for Liv is to make the telecasts unique and different. You don't want to just look like put Phil in the booth. Put Phil put in the booth. Phil in the Phil booth. booth. Phil and David Faraday. That, they would choose some oh scenery. God. But, oh, so okay. Now you're on TV. Great. Now show us what that could look like in a different fashion. Because to try and look like the PGA Tour, but not quite as good, makes no sense for them. So like they've got to they've got to really blow up the the template of what a tour telecast is. And if they do that, they will win some hearts and minds because we all know that the the number one pastime of of golf fans is complaining about the the telecast so i'll be curious if they can reimagine if they have the if they have the the brain power and the sensibilities and also the the runway because their first telecast is like a month away like so it's not they clearly they've had time to plan in this off season but if you i don't know i just i just hope they don't go down the conventional route because what's the point of that uh, as as Jay Monahan said, it's now product against product, and the tour product is established, and it's 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 the it's what we all are accustomed to, and it's traditional, and it's pleasant in its own way. So, if Liv really wants to be the great disruptor, then show me something different, so I have a reason to watch. I think golf is heading. You know, Mark King said this to me. Uh, Mark King, the former uh, CEO of TaylorMade, and now he sells tacos for a living, not out of a truck, and uh, he said this. Uh, <laughs> He said, "We're five years from now, we'll be heading towards a world where there's two really prominent national world tours, so to speak, the PGA Tour and the and the uh, and, and live golf, and things are moving in that direction. Uh, they just, they just it, it may not be good for golf long long term, but things seem to be moving in that direction. I, I don't know how anyone really could argue otherwise. I am uh, we I've brought this up." I think three podcasts in a row, but the cart RRL fight and, uh, and yesterday drove it home again as the PGA tour, uh, tweeted out a picture of, or a video of Xander making his albatross and then saying this was worth $300,000. And I cannot tell you how quickly that is going to turn people off. Like, uh, someone tweeted at me today, you know, uh, Xander has made $54 million playing golf. Like that 300,000 is kind of irrelevant. First of all, the shot wasn't worth 300. All of the shots were worth 300. But like this whole competition of showing how much money these guys make is that's what happened to the cart and IRL. Rich people trying to get richer and it ended IndyCar. Uh, and viewership is down on the PGA Tour. Not a ton of people are watching live. Like people are getting turned off by this shit. And for them to dive in uh you know trying to show like you know who has a bigger uh bicep (laughs) yes you're welcome guys for pging that and you thought i was going somewhere else uh (laughs) like who has a bigger bicep is is just gonna turn golf fans off eventually just all there is to it and that's where i'm afraid golf is going right i mean i would you the when someone makes an albatross, the stat is like, how many albatrosses are there in the history of the PGA Tour? It's the rarest thing there is. They're way more rare yeah. than a hole-in-one. Don't tell me about 300K. Who cares about 300K? Like, you're absolutely right, Ryan. It's, But that's that's the livification of the discourse. But I, I really don't understand it from the PGA Tour's perspective because the money is like, 
if that was on live, it would be seven hundred thousand dollars shot because like they can't. They've openly admitted they can't admit uh, like compete on a dollar to dollar basis. So I just anyway, it's uh, it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean that. So that was that was the big deal was getting the TV um, situation settled and announced. The next big announcement is the forty eight man we can call it 48 men because that's what it's going to be roster for live golf for 2023 you know last year during the beta test year of course they're bringing players on um in, in sort of the staggered erratic fashion they kept having to move people from team to team like their plan all along for 2023 is to have everything baked out these are our 48 guys these are the 12 teams and uh they keep delaying this announcement. I mean, it was going to be weeks ago. Either it's because they're finalizing a bunch of deals and, and they're going to rock our worlds with a bunch of big announcements, or they're desperately trying to get anyone to say yes. It's, it's probably one of the two. And uh, there hasn't been a lot of buzz. I mean, the, um, the, the usual suspects who have been rumored in the past, like they, they've seen more and more entrenched with the PGA Tour. They're certainly making a hell of a lot money on the PJ, a lot more money on the PJ tour than they had been previously. So like live knows it's going to look like a, a public relations defeat if they can only announce, you know, Mito Pereira or, or some other semi fringe player. So I'm, I'm sure the offers are going up. I'm sure the agents are licking their chops. The there's probably some players and their wives are anguishing. Uh, but that's the next big announcement. And, and I think that will have, Obviously, we'll define the season for live. It'll, 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 in people's minds, maybe settle the, the, uh, the us against them. Like the, the, the two, the, the sides will have been drawn once they announce this. Like it'll be pretty clear what professional golf is going to look like for a long time. I don't see a ton of movement throughout this season. So, um, that, that's a very freighted announcement that's going to come down any day now. And, um, how, how many names are you looking for, Alan? Well, they, you know, I was talking to some live folks like two to three weeks ago, and they they were hoping to have a handful. What that can be defined? How big are your hands? But um, you know, if if it's only one, yeah, Ryan, impressive. So um, we'll see. I mean, that they the problem the problem for live is they've built their whole business model on on buzz and on on hype. And so you got to keep feeding that um, because I think product, you know, again, product against product, uh, they fall short in a lot of people's eyes. So um, it's a mad scramble right now to sign some players. And I'll be very curious how it plays out. See, I don't really agree with that because I think, you know, if they they sign Colin Marikawa, which would be extremely unlikely, then he goes over and plays there, and we forget about him. If you're, if you forget about him, if you play the PGA Tour, and if you if you follow the PGA Tour closely, just like uh, you know, how often you think about Brooks Koepka and Bryson DeChambeau now, if you aren't following Live. So, I, I I think as long as they're 48 and the PGA Tour is still committed to you know 144, 156, then when on product versus product, it's just two really very different products and. Uh, they signed some guys, their names now. That doesn't mean they're going to be names in five years. You know, Phil Mickelson's not going to be a name in five years. He's just going to be another golfer in his mid-late 50s who had a great, great, great career that you hardly think about. David Duvall had a great, great, great career that you hardly ever think about. So they're just sort of names. I don't think it's so important. 
Interesting. Well, the marketplace will decide. <laughs> um, before we go, let's just touch on the Davis Love, Drew Love situation. It's quite interesting. Ryan, explain to people why the whole world is suddenly obsessed again with Drew Love. Yeah. Um, Drew was in the, I was perusing the uh, final stage of Asian Tour Q School, which is total normal nerd, golf nerd stuff. Uh, but uh, Drew Love was there, and I really didn't think about it. Um, just assumed he got through first stage at some place, and uh, he hadn't. I mean, he got an exemption into final stage. And the pettiness on both sides, Greg, Jay, the PGA Tour, everyone, right? It's kind of like taking Cam Smith's uh, parking spot at TPC Sawgrass, you know, press releases on the same day, all that kind of pettiness. You would think that Greg, A, gave him an exemption into Asian Tour status so he would play himself into onto the Asian Tour, which he did, finished 33rd, 35 uh, cards available. Fourth round, 62, by the way. The dude has some talent. There's no argument about that. And then uh, you would think maybe he plays well in a few Asian Tour events or even before he plays on the Asian Tour, that Greg is petty enough to give him an invite to live because Davis has been so outspoken. And that is when I would love to be at the dinner table of the loves. (laughs) (laughs) When we had Davis on a podcast months ago, I mean, I titled it the voice of the establishment. I mean, as you're saying, Ryan, it's really uh, Davis has found his voice late in life as this crusader for the tour. And so, yeah, it, it is interesting because perusing Asian tour qualifying results used to be high nerd, but now, as, as we've discussed many times in the past, the, the Asian tour has become much more relevant. It's the feeder system into live. It's it's going to become a center of gravity for young aspiring players because the money's going up. So the Asian tour is a much bigger deal than it ever has been. But um, I mean, do you know how unusual it is to be granted an exemption? Into I assume that rarely happens. Like, so uh, the Asian tour has been somewhat famous for you could buy your way into the fame, but that was before they had any money. Like they you know, needed money to keep tournaments going and those kind of things. Um, uh, I just got, a, as we were on, and I have to confirm it, but one of uh, uh, Phil's buddies evidently uh, missed by one at the Arizona site, but was <laughs> magically in final stage and got his card. Uh, so, you know, it's it's still like, it's still kind of a buddy system, but it's pretty unusual. No one broadcast it. I reached out to the Asian tour through somebody and they didn't have any comment or they just sent me a list of the reasons that someone could get an exemption. There's a bunch. And the main one is uh, one of the ones that would fall under all of these categories is the tournament committee has the right to grant any sort of exemption. So, um, it, it didn't actually say that this person's father is a Ryder Cup captain. <laughs> We're trying right. To- <laughs> <laughs> Who's, who talks shit about Liv all the time. And we, we would like to get him on. Yeah. It's super weird, but it does sort of bring into sharp relief uh, something Andy Ogletree uh, told Alan and me a while back. And it was, it was so telling. Young guy, Brian's professional life is devoted to this statement. Young golfers looking for places to play. And, uh, Davis isn't going to begrudge his son for that, is my reading of it. Even with all the weirdness, Davis stands for one thing. Davis is the voice of the establishment. But on another, on another level, you know, Drew's a, you know, a good young golfer looking for a place to play. I think that's an easy conversation, Michael, on the Asian tour 
I think it's a little more difficult on the live tour, especially if he gets an exemption. Uh, and to the people that like, listen, Drew gets a lot of hate for all of the uh, exemptions he's gotten and those kind of things. Don't begrudge him for that. Listen, Mark Baldwin got two exemptions because of social media presence. So like whatever the reasons are, no problem. No one's going to turn it down. All of us would take it. So no problem with uh, Drew getting uh an exemption into final stage again it's just kind of be upfront about it right like uh it is it's going to be wild because i mean i just don't know i don't know why greg wouldn't in, i mean it henny duplass are you kidding me like i mean of course he like will. no one's gonna go Ryan, oh quick, where, where's henny Ryan, duplass quick question. <laughs> quick question for you right is that purported or is that a uh, fact that he the uh, exemption to the final stage yeah it's it's a fact well, and to to your point, I'm not even sure there's going to be much conversation about live because when you think of the ultra uptight, conservative, longtime member of the establishment, it's Wally Uline, and his son's making a killing on live. <laughs> yes, so, so true. Uh, and he was, you know, he was, you know, Peter Uline had a great amateur career, but he could never stick on the PGA tour. He just he tried for years. So I think um, I think when you know the dads are pragmatic, they know how hard how hard it is to make it and um, if, if they have a route to professional golf and, but anyway, yeah, so it is. Hey, Michael, is can you ask Davis if I could come over for dinner for that conversation, please? <laughs> and once more, more than once I've had dinner with, with Drew and Davis and uh, uh, years ago, I mean, Drew was a little kid and uh, there, everyone was ordering dinner. And uh, I said, you know, well, what are the fish specials today? And everybody else was ordering steak. And, uh, and Drew said, uh, "You know, he he doesn't order steak." And Davis says, "Yeah, yeah, that's because uh, Michael doesn't eat uh, doesn't eat red meat." And then Drew says, "Well, then what does he eat?" <laughs> <laughs> I have a Drew. I have a Drew love story. Uh, that's funny. Colorado, Colorado Open. Uh, Drew is near the lead. I'm out there covering it, and Drew's caddy has uh, flip flops on. I take a picture. <laughs> Uh, of his flip-flops, not him, just of his flip-flops, put it up on Twitter. Sometimes I forget like that I have a passionate, you know, following and they just hammer the poor dude. Like, I mean, just lighting him up like a Christmas tree and uh, Drew getting shrapnel too, you know, ah, there's taking a guy who doesn't care. And so uh, I'm sitting in the, in the cart and Drew, <laughs> Drew comes off the green of like 12 and he starts walking towards me and he goes, Hey man, can you take that tweet down? My caddy's just getting hammered, and all we're doing is getting a million messages on our phone about it. And I was like, "Yeah, I can take it down." <laughs> He's also had the most earnest caddy ever. Uh, the his uh, Davis caddy for uh, Drew, and Drew qualified for the uh, for the U.S. Open. Uh, no special anything there, of course, and uh, and it was so clear. You know, Drew wanted it, and Davis wanted it more, and Davis was caddying his bottom off but he couldn't talk as i remember he couldn't talk of he couldn't talk drew out a driver and one particular only drove into the rough and made a bogey and i think he missed by a shot mm, i love that well to your the flip-flops thing when i was in a, during a practice round at the rio olympics um, i was out there on the course and it was, it was empty and this ball came rolling up from sort of an adjacent fairway and it, it was a tylist it was number 69 and it was it was Scott Hend, and I took a photo of it and I put it and I was like, oh, you know, what a dirty bird or something. And everyone everyone was so upset. Ian Baker Finch, the most mild mannered guy in golf, like got in my business, like. And um, I was like, first of all, 
if you put 69 on your golf ball, you're asking for people to notice 100%. it. And he could have a putt to win the gold medal and they'll zoom it on the ball and it'll be a 69. Like I didn't make him do it. And I was like, it's just funny. Like people do things and I guess they think no one's going to notice, but that's not the yeah. world we lived in. So yeah. Scott, this was, you know, now seven years ago, if you're still sore about that, um, I have no regrets. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, this has been, as, as always, a very eclectic fire drill, um, but um, the key takeaway for you, the listeners, is on, on Tuesday the 24th, presumably tomorrow, when you listen to this, um, go to the YouTube of uh, the Fire Pit Collective or go to firepitcollective.com, watch the first episode of the Grind docuseries. Uh, hopefully, you'll enjoy it. If you feel moved to, you, you know, talk about it on social media, we wouldn't mind. But uh, we're very proud of this. We're very excited about it. And we hope you guys will tune in. But um, even if you don't, we'll keep bringing you these fire drills uh, every week. So uh, for Michael Bamberger and Ryan French, this is Alan Shipnuck. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back at it again soon. That's the end. I bet big and I played the win. Made a fortune when my ship came in I ran the table, never thought I could fall Then the winter time hit me like a cannonball And now I can't shake this losing streak Every road I take is a dead-end street I got thoughts in my head, can't get them out Trying not to think what I'm thinking about Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.